I, I have just such a strong urge to do a whole end times Bible study this morning, just a number of things that are going on. Did, did any of you catch uh, the New York City commercial telling people how to prepare for a nuclear attack? Literally telling people, like, if a, nuclear, if a nuclear bomb goes off, this is what you need to do. And they take them through the steps of get inside and isolate and wait for instructions and listen to it was like Cold War 19, you know, duck and cover type. Why are you telling us this? You know, say, I mean, do you know something we don't know? What, what, are, what is going on? Uh, you know, it could be nothing more than our enemy trying to create fear and doubt. There could literally be something that we need to be concerned about. Point being, we're close to the end. Things are dialing up. Uh, it'll seem like a... Stagger step down as I ask you to turn to Joshua chapter 14, but it actually ties in very effectively as we look. Here's the nation of Israel. They've entered into the promised land. They're conquering their enemies and the Lord is telling them how to divide the land. Some of this is drawn by lot. Okay. And, and if you're thinking like I've read through this, it's all divided by lot. Well, I just remind you of Caleb. Right, who was promised portions of land and some other things that go on. So we get to see the division of the land inside the promised land. Right, We've already talked about the division of the land for Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, which remained on the eastern side of the Jordan and took uh, their portions of inheritance in what became known as the land of the Gadareans. Okay, So now we're inside the land where the Lord actually fully intended for all of them to be, but now uh, the remaining nine and a half tribes are going to see their distribution uh, there. So beginning at Joshua chapter 14, verse 1, these are the areas which the, the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot. They literally, however you want to you know, look at that, uh, rolling of the dice, uh, drawing of the short straw, the long straw, whatever. So they, they go through the process of just randomly, seemingly uh, laying this out. The Jews very much had the mindset that God controlled the drawing of lots. That it wasn't as random. Right? They, they have that mindset of there are no coincidences. God is fully in control in guiding. Think of the occasions we see these things happening in the scripture. I would specifically point to Jonah, right? who's in rebellion to the Lord and the storm comes up and they're all going to die and they draw lots and the lot falls on Jonah. God guides those circumstances. Does he always guide circumstance? You know, should I play the lottery? Uh, I don't think so. You know what I'm saying? There's a bunch of stuff you can waste your time on in examining this concept and uh, moving through. Uh, I think you all believe and agree with the concept that God is in control, that you're not going to thwart his plans. He'll, he will guide uh, your very footsteps in the process. So their inheritance was by lot as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. And, and again, just to grill it into your brain, uh, you know, Reuben, Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh, 
outside the promised land, living east of the Jordan River. So the nine and a half tribes here inside on the west side of the Jordan. So wedged between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. And we're going to see southern and northern borders uh, described here. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But the Levites, he had given no inheritance among them. Now, uh, that is uh, significant and important uh, because we've, we've talked about it many times, and I just want to hit it again. Uh, God has made the statement that the Lord himself is the inheritance for the tribe of Levi, uh, that they're uh, leading worship, organizing the temple, having the priesthood, that's their inheritance. It isn't going to be the land. It's not going to be earthly per, you know, uh, possessions per se. And, and there's very much a reflection of the life of the believer. You know, All of the New Testament uh, statements, Paul especially talking about how this earth is not our home. We, we are wanderers. We are travelers just moving along looking for. These are all temporary things. This body, temporary. Our homes, our possessions, temporary, right? The permanency is in the presence of Christ. It's in heaven. It's in eternity with him. To fix our focus on this world, very disappointing, right? Work yourself to death. Amass for yourself huge sums of whatever it is you desire. You'll find yourself gravely disappointed in the end. Why? Because you were built and designed for another world. Your heart longs for that. The disappointment you experience here. Why? Because I was hoping this thing would be more fulfilling. I was hoping this thing would bring me satisfaction and it doesn't. It's like drinking salt water, expecting it to quench your thirst. All it does is intensify your thirst and drive you mad. You know, some of us have drank deeply enough of the things of this world that everyone around us was telling us, you're mad, <laughs> you're out of your mind. You know, and what do we do? We drink all the more deeply, trying to satisfy something that only the Lord can satisfy in our lives. Seek him, right? What did he tell the apostles? They're raising the questions about the things they've left and the things they desire. Particularly, this subject comes down to food, clothing, and shelter. And the Lord makes that statement of seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. You don't have to have this earthly drive to go pursue those things. Pursue the Lord with that strength. Awaken with a hunger for him and drive after him. And what you'll discover is all of the things you need are being added to you. You know, and some of the things that you thought you needed, you'll discover, I don't need those. <laughs> they just fade, you know, fade and fall away. So, so here, the example, the Levites, they, don't, they get their basic necessities met. They're given homes, you know, a place to live. They, they have uh, even work they have to do. They have common land where all of the Levites, not one Levite owning a huge section of land, but all of the Levites together plant crops for themselves. But the Lord and the ministry is their inheritance and what they're going to receive. So no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. So as you have already studied through Genesis, or if you 
take the time to go back. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, taken captive into Egypt there, has a wife, and these two sons are born to him. When his father is reunited to him, he's overcome with the joy of the reunification, but like most grandfathers, he's enthralled with the sons, the grandsons he's never met. And he claims those two sons as his own sons. He was bereaved of Joseph and did not have him to raise him and love him. And now, in his mind, the replacement offering blessing from the Lord is uh, these two, Manasseh and Ephraim, that he claimed as his own sons. So they become portioned to the inheritance uh, that is the entirety for Israel. They gave no part to the Levites in the land except the cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So they follow the mandates of the Lord, and they uh, divide the land in the way that the Lord intended. And one of the things you're going to see over and over again, and now we're hearing all kinds of junk about whether Israel has a right to the land, and they're looking at all this historicity and trying to say, oh, the Palestinians, and you know, we need a two-state you know, state solution where the Palestinians get their portion and Israel gets their portion. Uh, you know, Israel owns all of the land. And more significantly, God claims all of the land as his own. So this division that we're talking about is not a breaking up of the land. This entire area belongs to God, and he's assigning it to the tribes as he wishes is what he's doing. The dividing of the land that the human race is trying to do right now, incredibly ungodly. And there's great punishment for those that would involve themselves in dividing the land. As Christians, you should never develop the mindset that there's a two-state solution, okay? Uh, the Presbyterian Church has been adrift for a long time. Ten years ago, they were incredible. They were great. Uh, you know, go back 20 years, go back, you know, even further, and wonderful examples, great, admirable. And, and uh, you know, they've been becoming more and more woke as the years have passed, being corrupted uh, by the world. And recently, in the past three years, there have been big shifts. I suspect that in the near future, there will be a split. You'll see a, a group that just goes the way of the world, and you'll see a group that tries to hold to the old tenets of what uh, you know the Presbyterians originally met. This past week, uh, they met, and a strong portion of their discussion was, I, I would say, anti-Semitic. Um, uh, you know, they they uh, are uh, they were confronted by it uh, by other Christian groups, and they you know tried to insist no, it's not anti-Semitic. We're, we're anti-Zionists. They made that statement outright, and I'll say to all of us here: to be anti-Zionist is to be anti-Semitic. Okay, that land is theirs, and if you don't like that, you're going to have to argue with God. Okay, he makes these statements and these claims in the scripture. It's not something I can do, right? If I have an entirely different opinion and I think I've got a brilliant plan and I know how it should or might work out, I'm working in opposition to what God has said in his word, right? And any of you who have studied the word at length know how well it works out for anyone that opposes God's word, right? 
Heaven and earth will disappear, but my word will by no means disappear, is what he says. He's going to accomplish everything that he said here. So the division of the land is amongst the tribes. Now we see Caleb here in verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Now, you've got to understand the history, right? Twelve spies sent by Moses into the land of Israel to survey. They weren't actually sent in there on an information-collecting journey. It was go in and find the things that the Lord has told us. Instead, they come back with their own opinions. Ten of them. Ten of them come back. The majority comes back with a negative report. And it sinks the hearts of the entire millions of people are destroyed in their faith and their relationship with the Lord because of the opinions of the majority. Remember that. Mark it very strongly in your heart and mind just because the strongest opinion. Just because the overwhelming polls say a certain thing, right? You think of the history of Israel and 500 false prophets speaking against one true prophet, right? It's very intimidating when the majority thinks one way. When everyone you talk to has a different opinion. If you line yourself up with the word of God, you're never going to be humiliated by that. Though the world speak against you, you will never be humiliated by that. God is true and every man a liar. So here, Caleb and Joshua were the two that came back and said, God has given these people into our hands. This is our land. We're going to conquer them and it's going to be fruitful. And everybody else was a naysayer and they swayed the entire congregation of Israel. I've told you recently, Barna Research Group completing a study on church divisions and church splits that occur. They have discovered that in almost every case, be it a very small church or a mega church of tens of thousands, the split occurred because of seven people or less. Seven people or less turning a, an entire congregation upon itself, creating division and splintering. The next time you're part of a fellowship and you hear someone speaking negatively, remember what I'm telling you right now. Set yourself on guard. There might be good cause. There might be good reason. And it's worth examining, okay? But you be very careful about what you listen to. I'm not speaking in regard to this congregation. We've learned enough of that. Okay? I'm telling you, from this point in all your future experiences, pay attention to how messages affect your heart and your mind. Right? The enemy wants to divide us. The enemy wants to nullify us. You know, small church, big church. He doesn't want us working in communities. He doesn't want us ministering to people's lives. 
What Caleb is talking about right here is the fact that he heard the Lord like Joshua heard the Lord. They obeyed the Lord and they came back with the proper message to the nation of Israel. And God and Moses made promises to Joshua and Caleb as a result of their faithfulness. This is the background of what he's referring to here in the moment. Verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. I want you to notice that. He comes back as it was with what was already in his heart. He did not go into that land, see the things that he did, and let those things influence his heart. He had heard from the Lord. He went into the land to see what the Lord had already said to him. He protected, he guarded his heart, right? Everybody else comes back, and the big theme of what they have to say is the land is full of giants, and it was. People that were 9 and up to 11 feet tall. That's not just a biblical fairy tale. We have literally found archaeological evidence of that femur bones, knee to hip bone, three feet long. You, you assemble the rest of that human being, and you've got somebody that's around 11 feet tall. Iron bed frames that are more than 11 feet long. Why would your bed frame need to be made out of iron? If you're 11 feet tall, you probably weigh somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 pounds. A fit human being, right? Doorknobs and door catches at six foot. You know, that's not just to keep the kids out. The door frames, 10, 11, 12, and 15 feet high. Wood, you know, wood and stone door structures and the door catch, the handle is at six foot. Because if you're 11 feet tall, six foot is about right there. You know, so, so they came in and they saw giants. And everybody else comes back and says, giants in the land, we're like grasshoppers, and they're going to eat us. That was their message. Not Caleb and Joshua. They came back and said, we can kill them all. <laughs> you got to like that attitude in a grasshopper. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> God likes underdogs, man. You know, and think about this, right? This, and I'm, you know, being just realistic about this. Jewish people are gen generally of lesser stature, right? Somewhere below six foot, usually, right? When Jesus is talking to the apostles, and he's making that whole point about, you know, which of you, by basically simply wishing, could add one cubit to your height? One cubit, right? I mean. <laughs> 18 inches a, a cubit how short do you have to be to be thinking i wish i was a foot and a half taller <laughs> those are interesting concepts okay and, and joshua and caleb come back and say we can do it god has given these people in this land into our hands that's the message god sent them in with and the others come back having had their hearts changed by what they can see. They're not functioning according to faith. As the Lord commanded Moses, so here, nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me 
made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord. I followed the Lord, his thoughts, his precepts, what he had spoken to me. I want you to remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You're going to see things in your life, right? And you're going to turn around and go, where'd all my money go? <laughs> Why is my car broken down? How did this person get sick? How am I ever going to get through this? The things you see are going to make your heart melt. You're going to be weakened by what you see in this world. And what you're going to have to do is turn your mind from what you can see to what you have heard from the word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. For we walk by faith, not by sight. How do you gain faith? Word of God. You've got to ever be in the word of God and let it change your heart. When Caleb is saying, you know, I went in and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. He'd already had his heart established by the things that the Lord had said. You have to trust what the word says and you have to live and you have to walk that way. There's a tremendous example. And now this man is able to stand up and say, as we're going to see, I want the promises God gave me because I function according to faith, not based upon what I see. And God is going to give it to him. If you've struggled all along the way, and you've thought, I wish I want, I need, but it never seems to come. Are you functioning according to faith? Are you, or are you ever defeated based upon what your eyes are taking in? Let the Lord minister to you and your heart change your mind. Walk according to faith. Verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am, this 85 years old, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Listen, that's, that's a very significant phrase you're going to see throughout the scripture. It's going to talk about the Lord going out and coming in. It's going to talk about King David going out and coming in. We're going to hear this right here. I'm as strong to go out as I am to come in. We have the promises from the Lord that in him and in his spirit, we have strength to go out and come in to war. Meaning, right? Some go out to war, but they don't come back in. They die out there. They're defeated. Caleb is saying, I have strength to do both. Go out and come back victorious. My relationship with the Lord has led me to the place where I can go out, wage war, and I can come home victorious. Right? This is a message from the scripture. That we, trust me, this isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity message that you're always going to be victorious. But the idea and the sense 
that in the Lord, you can go out with confidence, all right? What do we often say? The worst thing that they can do to us is the best thing they can do to us. If they kill us, what? We enter the presence of the Lord. So we return home victorious, just a different home. Rather than camping out in this worn-out tent, we arrive and receive our eternal home, our blessing for eternity. The strength of the Lord will give you the confidence to do both, to go out and to come in. Caleb is making this statement here. Now, therefore, verse 12, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be, you might want to underline that, right? Because there's no arrogance in this man's voice. He has a confidence in the Lord, but he also understands He's human. He's frail. He isn't predicting things. He's not naming it and claiming it. He's saying it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. So consider. In the book of James, it tells us to not make bold claims about how tomorrow we're going to leave and we're going to go into this city or that city. We're going to buy, sell, trade, make money. James says, you don't even know what tomorrow holds. Right? How many of you have experienced that? You lay down your firm plans and you got everything and then it all goes awry or it all goes a different direction or, you know, things change. James then goes on to say, much better to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Set your plans, right? Don't be lazy. Don't be a naysayer. You know, exert yourself at every opportunity. But don't have an arrogance. That whole health, wealth, and prosperity movement that I've mentioned a few times right here, that'll defeat you, right? Because you make the claim, I'm going to conquer and claim in the name of the Lord and go and do, and it'll be amazing, and then failure. Well, according to that standard, someone failed. Was it the Lord or was it you? Couldn't have been the Lord, so it must have been you. And you do that two or three times and you're just left thinking, well, I am a failure, right? You're not a failure, right? It, it comes down to you got to learn when the Lord is leading you and when he's not. You know, if, if you felt as though the Lord was leading you and you stepped out in confidence and it didn't, become fulfilled, then maybe whatever was convincing you, you might not want to listen to next time. Okay, you got to learn how to hear from the Lord. You got to learn when you're hearing from the Lord and when you're not hearing from the Lord. You know, we, we often look at the circumstance and we go, clearly I'm hearing from the Lord. You know, why? Because it's awesome. <laughs> you know, I've examined it all. You know, I, the pros and cons, it's so heavy on the pro side. We must do this and then defeat. So what was really speaking to you? The Lord, right? Or your own ambitions? Much better, as James said, to say, if the Lord wills. Here, we hear Caleb, who's so admirable, even just within this passage, saying, it may be that the Lord will be with me. It may be, you know, as it has been in the past. He's not going forward into this with any arrogance whatsoever. Great example of humility. Continuing in verse 13, Joshua blessed him, gave him Hebron, uh, gave Hebron to Caleb, uh, the son of Jephunneh, 
as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jehunah, the Kenzanite, to this day. And here's the punchline. Because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. That's how you experience the blessing. Wholly following uh, the Lord. If, if you go back and forth, following the Lord, following your flesh. Following the Lord, following the circumstances. Following the Lord, just not following the Lord. If you're back and forth like that, then the, the blessing's going to experience the same thing, <laughs> you know. Great one and, and terrible and, you know, blessing and no blessing. Up and down, back and forth. Consistency. Consistency. So critical. So critical, right? John 15, abide in me, right? Remain. Do not depart. Do not separate yourself from. Always be attached. Holy follow the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land was had rest from war. So, you know, interesting. It was known by the name of the greatest giant from the region. And we can safely assume that Caleb brought an end to that giant in his efforts here. So it became known as Hebron, you know, the blessing of the Lord. This week, you guys try to move forward very quickly. Uh, President Joe Biden was in Israel, and his primary purpose for being there was to carve Israel up and help create a two-state nation. Okay, that's what that's what our president was doing in that. And, you, and if you kind of shrug that off, like, eh, well, yeah, that's too bad. Uh, remember this: Joel, the prophet, chapter three, verse two. The Lord says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They also divided up my land. God is going to bring heavy judgment against those who have persecuted, attacked, and driven out the Israeli people and anyone who would divide up his land, right? The same as you would bring heavy judgment upon anyone if you arrive home and there's someone in your house with a chainsaw just cutting your house into pieces, sawing off sections, right? They would probably immediately be met with violence, physical violence, which the Lord endorses, by the way, right? To protect yourself, to protect the innocent, to protect property. These are all biblical concepts, right? Who wants you to lay down your sword? Your enemy. That's right. No, physical sword, too much for you. Don't want to have that discussion here in church, you know, place of peace. Right? Jesus said, I sent you out as sheep, right? You didn't have an extra backpack. You didn't have extra money. You didn't have an extra coat. I tell you now to sell your extra coat and buy yourself a sword. Jesus' words. Oh, well, that was spiritual. 
No, no. Turn the page. Peter's got a sword in his hand, and he's hacking off Malchus's ear. Right? Jesus puts a stop to that because he doesn't want senseless violence. But if you haven't noticed, there's a growing violence in our culture. And who does it attack? The weak and the innocent. And we are called to defend the weak and the innocent. We are called to be heroic such as Caleb. To make sure that people aren't being senselessly taken advantage of in the culture and society that we live. And it is happening right around us, right? It used to be far away. <laughs> and now it's in your backyard that these things are happening, right? I'm not, I'm not endorsing the concept of like leave church, go to the gun shop. I'm not you know, endorsing that concept. But what I am saying to us, what I am saying to us is that if you are of that, what they are now within the churches, they are referring to if you are of that sheepdog mentality, right? Because there are wolves and we don't want to be wolves. And there are the sheep but there are those that need to protect the sheep, the sheepdogs. Right? If you are of that mentality, the Lord actually endorses that concept. You know, there, there's a reason that we have men posted at the front and the back of our church so that we know who's coming through the door. You know, when you're seeing the things going on in the world around us, the enemy wants to bring the church to a stop any way he can. Imagine, right? If, if you have experienced that level of violence in your house of worship, imagine how much fear it's going to create in you about ever going back to that place, right? There needs to be safety and security in our homes, in our lives, in our society, in our culture. Defund the police. Are you out of your ever-loving mind? Look at what's happening, right? Our enemy is stripping us of these things. The dividing of the home, the leadership of this nation is in the process of disobeying God in regard to these things. And we are collectively going to experience what that produces. We need to have the mindset, you guys. And above anything else, I cannot encourage you enough to be politically active in the voting booth. Right? There's a whole mentality now that's, you know, Talking about, oh, you know, armed rebellion and, you know, civil war. Again, insanity to consider anything like that. We have opportunities to be involved. Run for office. We'll do everything we can to help you. You know, uh, people say, oh, well, you can't do this, man. 501c3, separation of church and state. That's a lie. Do you understand that? Right? I, I'm not here saying this is some fringe element. The separation of church and state, again, if you haven't heard me talk about it, was a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to a group of Baptist believers who their ministers had been preaching a series of sermons called the Garden of God, where they described the church as a garden that God had built. And he had, in this sermon, built a great wall of separation around the church to keep the government out, right? They had just left Europe 
where the government was telling them they couldn't worship Jesus Christ. They came here to establish that. And, and they were looking at America and the church and their worship as this great garden that God had built. And he had built this great wall of separation around the church to keep the government out. But within the sermon, their preachers were saying from time to time, God would tear down the wall of separation, allowing the, the government to invade the church, so that the church would repent of its sins and be restored in its relationship with the Lord, and then the Lord would rebuild the wall of separation between church and state. So this separation of church and state, it's not in the Constitution. It's not in our laws. It was in the sermons of Christian believers. And Thomas Jefferson wrote to those Baptist brothers and said, I wholly believe in the garden of God and the great wall of separation. And I am inclined to protect that wall. They were worried about the newly formed government and how it might invade the church. And Jefferson was giving them the assurance of we're not going to mess with the church. Do you see the government messing with the church? Oh, apparently, according to the sermon, God has torn the wall down. The church needs to repent. You and I need to repent. Me of mine, you of yours. That our relationship with the Lord is correct. And we don't rebuild the wall. God does. The victories you're seeing in the Supreme Court, that's the Lord putting the wall back up. And we need to continue to pray. And we need to be people of earnest. And we need to be people of purity. So that the Lord can accomplish his will. This separation we're seeing here, Joe Biden, the administration, you know, I have no fear at all about speaking out, uh, speaking for, speaking against any of these leaders, because what they have done with this whole qualification of 501c3 is create fear within the church that silences the mouths of the ministers, right? At the end of the Revolutionary War, when the British were being interviewed about the defeat of the British armies and the success of the Americas, the British officers said what led to the victory for the Americans was the black-robed regiment. Had it not been for the black-robe regiment, we would have defeated them. The people mostly understood at the time, but later, for those that didn't understand, when they questioned them and said, what is this black-robed regiment that you're talking about, thinking of some military point of view, they openly confessed it was the ministers who stood in the pulpits in their black robes, and they preached like I'm doing right now to the congregations, encouraging them who to vote for, who to support, who to follow, and renouncing that which was unbiblical, renouncing that within government which was sinful. We need this level of clarity all through the church, all through our nation. It needs to happen more and more strongly. Uh, Is it going to completely restore America? I'll be blunt. I don't think so. That would be wonderful, but I don't think so. What I can tell you it will do is it will restore you. And it will restore the remnant of the church. 
It, it can. It bears the potential to bring about revival. And that's what we need, right? Revival. Okay, now let's think about that. I want to touch on that. <clears throat> we often think like our culture needs to change, right? Uh, yeah, our culture needs to change. Uh, but here's the thing, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and what? Turn from their wicked ways. Now, rewind that, right? My people. He doesn't say if the world, the unbelieving world, will change and repent and come to me, right? Yeah, wonderful things will happen if that. But if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way, I will heal from heaven and I will restore their land. We, we need to be the ones that lead this through our sincere relationship with the Lord and our repentance. That's how it's going to happen. You guys, it's going to result in political activism. It's going to result in us in the voting booth. All those things are going to take place. But again, go back to what we said originally. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Yeah, truly, when you're looking at what's going on in your public school, when you're looking at what's going on in the public square, when you're outraged and overwhelmed by the things that are going on, <clears throat> you can be left like, how is that ever going to happen? If you will, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Wait upon the Lord. Wait for him. I'll remind you, the early church had listened to the sermon that Jesus preached and then the apostles taught the church about the fall of Jerusalem. And Jesus specifically saying, when you see these things taking place, don't even go back in the house, right? Uh, modern terminology, he said, if you're on the rooftop, don't go back in the house to get your coat. Just flee into the wilderness, is what he said to them, right? And for us, it would be, if you're on the back porch, right, don't even go back in the house to the gun safe or the food store that you have in the basement. If don't go, just flee. If you realize these things are happening, the early church didn't know how to handle that. And then they were watching the military buildup of Rome in Israel and now starting to surround Jerusalem. And they remembered Jesus Christ saying this and they fled all of the, all of the Christians fled Jerusalem in one night and Rome besieged in the middle of the night, and the murderous onslaught began. Not a single Christian lost their lives in that. Millions of Jews were slaughtered. As a result, they remembered the words of Jesus, and they obeyed them. You need to be the same way, continuously in the word of God. And he's going to guide you. If it all falls apart around us, you're going to know what to do. You're going to know what to do. You're going to know how to follow Jesus Christ in those circumstances. You do not have to live in fear, right? If General Mills, you know, creates a commercial for Maine about what to do in a nuclear attack, you don't have to panic, okay? Trust the Lord. Let him bring you peace. Wait upon him. And in the end, you'll inherit what you're supposed to, right? Which ultimately is eternal life. 
waiting upon the Lord. Don't let your life be dominated by fear. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. <clears throat> See this woman? Third row back right here in the purple sweater right there. If you, if you don't know her, that's my mother. And tomorrow is her birthday. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, definitely the foundation of my faith and what the Lord has done in my life for all these years. So thank you. Appreciate it. We all do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you very much for your love and your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to just rest in you. That as we watch and see and hear that we would not be led by those things. Help us to take those things in and be wise. But help us not to be compelled by the things we see instead. That we would be walking in faith, trusting you, experiencing your great peacefulness. Accomplish what you want to with us, Lord. Use us as your servants, Lord, as your representatives, as your ambassadors. We want to bring people into the kingdom. Orchestrate those conversations, Lord. Put people in our paths. Help us to open our mouths and not be fearful. Use us, we pray. Bless us as we spend this time together through the remainder of uh, this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.